tonight is called No More Barriers. Mark chapter 15, verse 38 says this, When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn into two pieces. The tear started at the top and it tore all the way down to the bottom. For a lot of us in the room, I would honestly say, maybe you have no idea about Jewish history and maybe there's a few people that do. But we cannot be encouraged in our own story and we cannot be encouraged in our own narrative without understanding where our narrative comes from. We share the story of Israel. We share the story of the Jewish people. God has always wanted a unique people unto himself. And so Abraham was the father of what we know as the Jewish nation. He was also known as the father of what would be called the Islamic nation. And, and also he gets a reference to what we get to share today in the 21st century is Christianity and uh, Islam and, um, and Judaism all pretty much have a link back to this person called Abraham. And so God is obviously doing something through the stages of history through time. And a lot of us are removed from the ancient history, the ancient world. Uh, we might go visit the pyramids and yet we still don't really know how they did it. If you don't believe me, talk to any scientists or any archaeologists. They're constantly, constantly baffled by so many of these things. The pyramids are one of the largest structures that one of the natural wonders of the world that is with us still today. So there's so much about history that we do not know. But what we do know is this, is that God has always been clear with his intentions. He's wanted to be intimate with us. And so we have a profound thing that the Gospel of Mark, Matthew and Luke carries for us. And that is that when the, Jesus died, literally there was a temple and there was a curtain that literally separated the Holy of Holies and what was called the Holy uh, Place of the Temple and then the outer court. And so let me give you a quick insight here, just a little brief way of understanding this. There was a temple, it was known as Herod's temple. It was the temple that the Romans destroyed in the, seven AD, in the, in the seven, 70 AD. Something like that. I always get my numbers wrong here. But basically the Romans smashed it. Herod built it. And it was the biggest of all the temples. Ezekiel built a temple. Solomon built a temple. Even Moses had a kind of a temple. It was more of a tent than it was a temple. And so all through history, God's people have been instructed by God to build something so He could literally dwell in His presence with humanity. God always has wanted to be close with us. And so he told Moses what to do, build it according to what you have in heaven as it is on earth. And there was a holy place and no one could go there. Only the high priest, a special person that was set apart for these things. And if you don't know this history, you might not know what I'm talking about, but stay with me because what there was, was a temple and there was three parts. There was an outer court pretty much for everyone. Then there was an inner court, which was obviously where it became a lot more serious and there was a lot of rituals going on, a lot of priestly operations going on. And then there was this curtain and behind the curtain was this place called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was where the most holy presence of God was there to be with God's people. 
And the only person that was allowed in there was a priest and he had to come from the, the lineage of Levites that God had told them in years gone by that you can only have Levites that are my priests and they will minister priestly things unto me. And so the Levite priest, the high priest was dedicated to going in and once a year he would go in and he would offer sacrifices and bring them into the Holy literally to basically cover for sin. Now, again, I'm taking a risk talking at this level tonight at the five o'clock, but I need you to come with me, amen? Because the good news to you and me today in the 21st century, there is no more barriers. There is no veil. There is no curtain. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if you don't know much about this, let me tell you how big this curtain was. 20 metres high. 10 metres wide and up to 10 centimetres thick. It was incredible. And there's not that much information, only a little bit from biblical scholars and from also um, scholars from the time. And, and what they say is, is that this thing was incredibly awe-inspiring. And it had to be because obviously what it represented, a thick veil so no one could go through it wasn't like your linen Ikea curtains at home. It was bigger and better than Ikea. The way they woven it, the way they pulled it together. They say hundreds and hundreds of priests were, it took to actually put it in place. Once a year, they would renew it. It took literally, I think, 80 plus seamstress or people that could stitch and sew. And a lot of the trades and a lot of the crafts that they did back then has been lost. And so even today in modern Israel, they're still wanting to rebuild the temple. They're still wanting to build this veil because of, you know, the history and because of the prophecies and things like that. But the point is, is it was made of different, it was made of certain items. And this fabric, there was blue linen and there was purple garments and there was a scarlet thread and it was an artistic design of a cherubim on the front and on the inside and on the outside and and it was a majesty it was a majestic and a creative and wondrous and incredibly detailed and it communicated and we are so removed from this part of life and we're so removed but every detail spoke of the goodness of heaven towards humanity the reason I'm sharing this tonight is because it's a part of our story and you need to know the details about why there's no more barriers. Let me take you on the journey here tonight because this curtain that was a barrier to anybody coming into the Holy of Holies, I wanna let you know when Jesus died, it was ripped from top to bottom and it was never repaired. It was never put back there. Why? Because God was saying that I now can allow all of humanity to come to me because of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Let me tell you now, you don't need to kill another bull. You don't need to kill another sheep. You don't need to kill any chickens. You don't need to kill any gooses. Only for Christmas. I know this kind of sounds funny to say all this stuff in a 21st century crowd, but you need to understand, we need to understand where we've come from. Because we'll never understand where we're going if we don't know, understand where we've come from. And I need you to understand this tonight because I believe when you get a hold of this, it will never leave you. That curtain was ripped from top to bottom. It was not done with human strength because no human strength could pull it apart. The way they woven it together, it was done with so much 
so much strength. Every time they did it was unique. It was a, a unique craft that has been tragically lost, I guess, through, through, through history and through time. And they're trying to find a way of bringing it back even for today. But the point is, is it went from strength to strength to strength. No human hands could tear that thing apart. And it was only God himself literally could rip that thing apart. When Jesus died, there were six miracles that took place at that time in, in, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. And I'm only giving you one of them tonight. And that was the veil that curtain was torn in two. But you need to understand what it represents. And let me go into Hebrews. And one of the books that I've been reading all year, there's three books that I've read mostly through the year is Ephesians, the book of Hebrews, and predominantly the first part of Genesis. And I've been reading Hebrews all year and I'm blown away by it. And if there's a book I could recommend you to read in the New Testament would be the book of Hebrews because it's profound, amazing, and it heartwarming, and it always builds your faith. Amen. And so consider picking it up and having a read. But this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Everyone with me? It says, Now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And He welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm boldly with no hesitation for He has dedicated a new giving a life-giving way for us to approach God. For He has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the curtain was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to Him. And since we are now have a magnificent King Priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer. The word sacrifice comes from that to God and gain intimacy, sacrifice with Him. We come closer to God and gain intimacy with Him. We come closer to God and we gain intimacy with God, with Him. As we approach Him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from Him. Nothing will keep us at a distance from Him. Nothing will keep us from a distance from Him. Nothing will keep us at a distance from Him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood to remove impurity. And we have been freed from an accusing conscience. And now, you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? And now... We are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Now you don't get it. Let me say it again. And now we are clean, unstained and presentable to God inside and out. He has now dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. The temple was torn in two. When that temple curtain was separated, it was ripped in two by the hands of God. Something that man cannot do. 
Man could never have done that. God did the impossible. He brought us in close. The barrier that was there, he removed it so that you and I could come in close. You know why you can come in close? Because of Jesus. Why is it important to say that last bit? Because if you try to come to God without Jesus, you're not clean, you're not presentable, and we have blemishes, and we have warts and failures and shame and guilt. It's important that every one of us get a hold of this because this is God's word. It's not gone out of fashion. It's not wasted. It's not useless. But every one of you in this room, you need to know that you can go straight to God. Well, I don't feel clean. I don't care what your feelings say. It's the word of God. You see, yeah, what we do is we, we, start, we start getting into, well, what we do. And, and this is what it says. It, read what this says. It says, now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. That's why you need to read Hebrews. Why? Because it tells you what Christ has done. How many of us are scared to approach God because we know what we've done? In other words, we're more sin conscious than we are Christ conscious. The more you look to Jesus, the less aware you are of your own failures and you're more aware of his goodness. What's stopping you going to God? I love it when you see a little child running to see her father or a little child running to see mother. And it's beautiful. There's an innocence to it. And this is what God's trying to come back to us. He says, listen, let me give you more. Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, chapter 4, 14 to 16. It says, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands, listen, our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same tests and temptations we do. Yet he did not sin, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. You know, when the most I've ever experienced the grace of God is when I'm the most undeserving. Anyone in this room, if you can be honest with yourself, we've all got things in our lives we go, oh my goodness, how could I do that? How could I think that? Why would I say that? Why would I do that? And I've learned in my own life, when I'm at my worst, God has always been at his best. Grace always works. Always works at its best when we are at our least deserving. And this is important for us to remind ourselves because literally the picture God has given us is to move towards Him and yet instinctively sin nature, sin consciousness, aware of our shame, our guilt, our failures, 
we tend to go backwards. Because when we hide, we're trying to cover ourselves. And everybody does this. And humanity does this. And we find that this is what human nature does so often. But what is he saying through the book of Hebrews? He's saying, hey, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we will receive mercy. Anybody need to receive mercy tonight? He is a merciful God. He does not give us what we deserve. He is merciful. He is merciful. It works great in a film called Gladiator, but it works really good in a real 21st century Berliner. He is merciful. So we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. When do you need grace the most? When do you need grace the most? When you're good? Or when you're not, not, not very good? What do I mean by that? Real people with a real God. And what does the good, good God's word say to us? He literally said the temple, the entrance. Now, all of these were figurative. You and I are now the temple of God. God dwells in us through the work of Christ. God is not coming back from bricks and mortar and limestone and sandstone. He's coming back for human beings because we're made in His image. He wants to fill our lives with His presence and His glory. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. He dwells in us. But I need you to understand that grace is found at its best when we feel like we're at our worst. And I want you to know that you've got to understand when you're at your worst, it takes boldness to move towards a God. But if you've got the wrong picture of God, you're not going to move towards a gracious God if you don't realize He is gracious. What does the Word do for you? It anchors you. What does the Word do for you? It brings clarity. What does the Word do for you? It builds faith. What does the Word do for you? It brings a better picture than what you had from religion. It lets you go forward, not backwards. It moves you towards Him. Read this for a week. Read this for a month. Go over it and over it and over it. When I'm at my worst, God is at His best. When I don't deserve it. He comes after me. He goes up the mountains. He goes over this. He goes over that. We sing it every Sunday. Coming after me. (laughs) He's coming after me. Because there's no more barriers. There's no more hoops to jump. There's no more sacrifices to give. If there is, it's a sacrifice of praise. If there is, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. If there is, it's about doing good to others. That's the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God. How do we know that we have this narrative? Because right in the beginning, it all began with a barrier. Genesis chapter 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for both Adam and his wife and clothed them. There was rebellion in the garden. We went away from God. And what did God do? He had to remove her from the Garden of Eden. But what did He do? He clothed them in garments of skin. In other words, God is already sacrificing something to clothe them and cover them. God is a coverer. God is not an exposer. God does not expose our sin. He does not expose our shame. He does not expose our transgression. He is a coverer. He is a protector. He is an absolute amazing God. Will you let Him love you, cover you, redeem you, protect you? Let faith arise in this place in Jesus' Name. So the Lord God said, 
The man has become like us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat the life forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he came. And then he drove man out and at the east end of the garden, he placed the cherubim, the angel and a flaming sword that turned in every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. Here we have Adam and Eve. We have humanity created in the image of God being removed from the garden, the paradise that you and I were created for. They were removed from the place that we were meant to be. And guess what God did? He put a barrier, not to hurt us, but to protect us. Everything God does is righteous. Everything God does is consistent. Everything God does is to protect us. He didn't do that to hurt us. He did it to protect us. The barrier in the temple was there to protect humanity. Once you get this, you realize, gosh, where can I go? Who can I turn to? There is no one like my Jesus. Our separation from God had caused so much pain and trouble. Listen to me. Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much trouble? Why is there so much conflict? Why is it one nation wants to take out another nation? Why is it one tribe wants to kill another tribe? Why is it one tribe would cut themselves and have a blood covenant? If anyone attacked that tribe, they now attack this tribe. There's so much in our human story that we've forgotten. So much in the ancient story that we've forgotten. And if we want to do anything in the 21st century, we need to bring back the narrative. We need to bring back the story. We need to tell ourselves where we're going needs to be anchored from where we've come from. We came from pain and suffering, but God is sell- He's sending us into the future where He's given us a protection from these things. The world was a paradise in the beginning and what did humanity lose? We lost our identity with God as God's people. We lost our place in His paradise. We lost access to His presence. Eve was to give birth to the children of Adam, to the children of mankind. A blessing now turned into a source of pain and injury. The number one death through the history of time has been childbirth to women. A blessing became a curse. Adam's curse was limited resources, an insecure future and a world that no longer responded to His command. So yes, we lost a lot. But I need you to understand when you connect to Christ, you connect to so much good for your life. And I wanna give you these quickly here. You got room for a little bit more here? Why do we need to connect to Christ? Because He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the one that literally closed the gap between us and our Heavenly Father. He was the curtain. He was the temple. Everything that you read in the Bible points to Him. It's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a, it's a tangible curtain, but it spoke of Christ. His body was broken. He was torn so that we could be healed. We have access to God because of the perfect work of Christ. Will you believe what God has done for you? Will you accept what He's done for you? What is so good about this tonight? There is no barriers. You can come to God. You can go straight into His presence. You can worship in His goodness. You can receive grace for every hour, for every second, for every step of the way. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. In your worst day, His grace is enough. In your ugly days, in your crazy days, in my crazy days, in my ugly days, when I don't measure up, when I'm not good enough. Christ 
is enough. Why do we need to connect with Christ? Because He deals with the performance issue. The fear of failure. The fear of failure is one of the great narratives of humanity. How many people in this room have got a fear of failing? I don't know about you, but the fear of failing is too strong. In the younger generation, you wanna see the potential of their lives go forward. What stops them? The fear of failure, the performance issue. And Christ deals with that because what does He say? You don't have to, have to fear about failure anymore. I, was, I failed. In other words, God was broken so that you can get over this performance issue. I was more than enough so that you don't have to worry about it. Well, I don't measure up. None of us do. I fall short every time. We all do. The fear of rejection. Have you ever been scared of being rejected? How many young men don't dare step out and ask a girl, will you be my girlfriend? The fear of rejection is way bigger than we realise. Do you want to go for a job and be rejected? No. The fear of rejection, Anna. How many times the fear of rejection has tried to rob you of your future? The fear of failure is trying to rob you of your future. The reason you can help younger people because you know what it's like to fear these things. And the reason you're able to help them to overcome these things because you've been there before. You've felt the tan, you've felt this tension, you've felt the realness of it. But with the help of God, you're overcoming these things in Jesus' Name. The fear of rejection. I must be accepted by certain others to feel good about myself. If she at school will just accept me, then I feel good about myself. Oh, if the pastor just accepts me, I'll feel good about myself. Oh, if I have the right job, I'll feel good about myself. Oh, if they like my social media, they'll feel, I'll feel good about myself. If they like my Facebook, if they like my art, if they like my song, if they like my movie, if they like my face, if they like my clothes, if they like me, then I just might feel good about myself. But the problem is, what happens if they don't like your movie? What happens if they don't like your art? What happens if they don't like your face? If they don't like your haircut? If they don't like your dance? If they don't like your face? If they don't like you? Don't tell me this is real. This is real every second. This is real every day. It makes billions for the music industry. It makes money in every corner. It makes money in every angle. It changes the world and it spins the world around. Why? Because our brokenness keeps the world going. And our connection to Christ seals the issue forever. There is no fear of rejection. The curtain has been removed. The curtain has been torn. The barriers have been removed. You cannot fear me because my love is greater. You do not fear rejection from me because I measured up even if you didn't. It deals with the fear of punishment. When you connect with Christ, there's no more room for the blame game. You don't have to blame anyone else. You just have to realise that basically when you connect to Christ, the fear of punishment's removed. Do you know why religion's so strong? Because religion, sin is so strong. 
If I punish myself, then I guess I'll feel better about myself. If I punish myself, I guess I'll feel better about myself. Oh, I guess, well, if I just go and do something really sinful, I'll just go and confess. Oh, Father, forgive me, for I have been a naughty boy this week and I was in the wrong place at the right t- wrong time. Three Hail Marys and six Our Fathers and maybe if you give some money to the church, maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, I, wanna, I want you to know confession is a part of our narrative, but I'm telling you, it's not just commit the sin and then confess and get a few prayers up your sleeve. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. At the end of the day, you do not have to fear punishment. Why? Because Jesus was punished forever. And this is the big tension for all of us. I kind of believe that Jesus has done that, but I still struggle with me. I kind of want to believe that Jesus has done that, but I still struggle with me. I say amen when Pastor Mark preaches it. I clap, I I respond, but... I just know me too much. That's why you need to know what the Word of God says because it's a pathway forward. It deals with the the fear of punishment. It deals with the fear of rejection. It deals with the fear of failure. And probably one of the biggest ones, it deals with the fear of, the feeling of shame. The Christ connection removes the shame. Listen to me. The Christ connection removes the shame. I know you didn't want them to do that to you, but they did. And you have connected so much shame upon yourself. And God wants to lift the shame. It wasn't your fault. You cannot blame yourself. You feel shameful because of things you've done. And I want you to know that if there's anyone in this room and maybe there is a sense of shame hanging over, hanging over your life, you've got to understand when you connect to Christ, the shame is lifted and there is no more shame. I am what I am. I cannot change. I am hopeless. That's why we need to connect to Christ. And so I want to try and bring this to a close tonight. And I've done my best to try and bring you some tension about what God's Word says for every one of us. But I want you to know, God knows everything and He still keeps the door open. When that temple, when that curtain was torn, it was an announcement to the world. There is no more barriers no more sacrifices no more barriers you can come as close as you want you can come as close as you want and this is where religion kicks in so strong This is where the accusation and the accuser tries to find new ground in our lives. Ah, but remember last week? Remember last year? Remember who you were with? Remember, remember? Well, listen to me. It's not voice from heaven that speaks like that. The accuser is always gonna remind you of your past. The accuser will always remind you of your weaknesses, your failings, your all the things you want no one to know about. But our Heavenly Father does not remind us. He reminds us of His goodness. 
He reminds of His kindness. He reminds us, quick, put the ring on His finger. Quick, put the robes on His back. Quick, put the shoes on His feet. Can we just settle tonight? There is no barrier. There is no barrier. There is no barrier. So why do you still keep bringing up the barriers? We can go right into His presence. There is no more barriers.